You can open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. We will start at verse 14 as we see the third detailed account of Jesus delivering a man from a demon. And we want to talk some today about spiritual warfare, what the heart of that is, and how you can be prepared and involved as a believer in spiritual warfare. Uh, if you are visiting here for the very first time, we're really glad you're here. We hope that you are blessed by the time that you spend here. We hope you enjoyed the worship, that you enjoyed the, the study in the Word of God, but we hope that God reaches out and speaks to you, that you, are really, that you really have a God moment here today, especially if you've never invited Christ into your life. Maybe, maybe you've grown up in a Christian family, and you think because you go to church that you're a Christian, but you've never been transformed by Him. You've never been born again. Jesus said you must be born again. We'd love to see you make that commitment to Christ today and begin that plan that God has for you especially if you're young. If you're young, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose for your life. We'd love to see you make that commitment to Him today. All right? If, you, if, if, it, if it's time for you to get more involved with the church, if you want to see what we've got available and how you might be used here to help us in the, the, the work of the ministry, uh, then one of the easiest ways to do that is to text Calvary Connect to 94000. You're going to get back a link. Fill that link out. It's our connection card. And we'll have people, pastors and leaders that will get in touch with you depending on how you fill it out. And our next classes, our next connection classes are in September. So the first, yeah, September. The first three weeks in September here at this campus, those classes are designed to help you know more about our church and our ministry. We do a lot. There's a lot of things going on. So it helps you know about the history of the church and our ministries. And then we help you identify your spiritual gifts your skills, your talents, and how you can be used here alongside of us. We would love to have you come alongside of us and help us with the work of the gospel. That's, uh, if you're not involved, that's one of the best ways to get involved here. There are other ways it can happen, but that's one of the best ways. Uh, we are, um, we're reopening things after COVID, right? We're not 100% reopened on everything that we're, we're doing. Um, we, our men's ministry is going now. Our women's ministry is going. With, with the new Delta variant, we are still cautious, okay? We still want to be cautious, um, because I just think there's a lot that's not known about it now. Um, I personally am looking now to see if the death cases rise with the new cases. So the death cases are still low with the new cases rising. I know that hospitals in Phoenix are overwhelmed. Hospitals in Tucson are not, as far as I understand. Somebody might be here working in the hospital going, you don't know what you're talking about, shutty. Um, but I'm just telling you as far as I understand, okay? Uh, this is certainly not my area of expertise. Um, but we are cautiously reopening. One of the things that we want to do, and I, I don't know that we have any open home fellowships now that anybody can just go to, but we're going to be opening up those pretty soon, and we thought we would take this opportunity to revamp our home fellowships. There will be some that just do what they want to do. That, you know, people in our church, leaders in our church that want to have home fellowships and they want to do something special, there will be that. But we want to have also some uniformed kind of home fellowships where we take what I teach on on Sunday, turn that into... Uh, kind of a, a, a workbook, as it were, that you can fill out and then you can sit down and have questions and talk more about what we talked about that weekend. And um, we're looking to have somewhere between 50 and 75 home fellowships eventually, okay? So that we're revamping that and starting it and we really want to get that going. We believe that's extremely important. Also, our vertical marriage ministry is beginning a series on marriage. This is a really good series. Your marriage doesn't have to be you know, on the rocks in order to consider being more solidly on the rock. 
Yeah, you want to really look at if your marriage is just, you know, you just say, I, I want to give some, um, uh, some maintenance to it. I, I just want my marriage to be the best it can be. It may already be good, but it may be able to be better. And this is a eight-week series. It's really good. Children's, um, they do have uh, uh, child care available. And uh, it's $50 for a couple and $70 if you have children. Uh, it's, it's from 6 to 830 on Fridays. It starts on September 10th, okay? So if you're interested in that, then you can check that out. It's here at the East Campus. Um, I would like to pray for two different events that are taking place now. Obviously, I think, first of all, it's Afghanistan. Again, you know, you, when, 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 when the whole nation kind of collapsed and was taken over by the Taliban, there were a lot of different suggestions and things that people were saying were happening. And I've just found from experience that a lot of those are not accurate. You know, when something happens like that, you got to really step back a little bit and wait and see because there's just rumors that get mixed in with, with what is real news. And um, the, uh, it, it does seem that the Taliban are persecuting Christians. There are reports of them searching phones to see whether there's Bible apps on them. And if there's Bible apps, that exposes the person as having an interest in Christ. So we want to pray for them. They're going through a, they are going to be going through a particular point of persecution um, they've said, the Taliban have said that they're going to reinstitute Sharia law and that causes a big problem for the entire population of Afghanistan. And uh, so we want to pray for them, pray that God would do a special work. It's during these times of turmoil that oftentimes God does his greatest work. So we want to be praying for them. Uh, also, there was a 7.2 earthquake in Haiti. Uh, 2,000 people were killed. A little over 2,000 people were killed in the initial earthquake. There have been people who have died since then. It has affected hundreds of thousands of people. Houses, churches, homes, um, which are the same thing as houses, by the way, have collapsed. And um, there's a lot of humanitarian aid that's heading over there. We want to pray about how we can be involved with that. Samaritan's Purse is on its way over. We've partnered with them before and being able to reach out and help people that lives have just been completely turned upside down. So we want to pray for what's taking place in Haiti as well. And um, it's interesting, Jesus said, as far as the sign of our times, the, the, as the last days come along, birth pains are going to get worse, wars are going to get worse, and earthquakes are going to get worse. And um, I, I think both of those can be proven out with statistics. I, I looked up a chart yesterday on 6.0 magnitude earthquakes and above and how they've increased in the last 20 years and there's a significant spike in earthquakes above 6.0 and wars and rumors wars Jesus said don't let these things worry you they're going to happen but they are going to increase as we get closer to the end and I think that we're seeing that I mean Syria is a mess right I mean we could talk about Syria and the refugees in Syria there's camps with millions of refugees and Syrians away from the cities cities have been completely destroyed um, I, I, I'll do a modern day or an update on uh, current events here pretty soon because I got a lot of things I'd like to share with you, but I won't do it now. So let's pray. Let's ask God to bless our Bible study. Father, we want to, first of all, consider those that are in Afghanistan now, just this sudden collapse of this, um, of this government and all of the people that are in, just they don't know what's going to happen. They know in the history how the Taliban have responded when they've been in control but they really don't know. And, and Lord, we pray for Christians. We pray for women. We pray for girls. We pray for those that have been abused by those in the Taliban before. And um, 
Lord, we also ask that during this time where there's such turmoil that you would be bringing peace and you would do a wondrous work as you do during difficult times. We also pray for those that are in Haiti and this earthquake that, that has taken place. And we pray that uh, you would help us, that we might be able to get involved and make a difference there, that we would come alongside of these people that are in such crisis now. Thank you for all the Christian organizations that have responded quickly and are already there. And um, we pray, Lord, that you would show us our place and how we can be involved in helping and, and really showing the love of Christ to them. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today we come to Luke chapter 11, verse 14, where we see the third encounter in the book of Luke where Jesus encounters a demon. There have been other places where he's cast out demons, but these are detailed. So, so far, this will be the third of the detailed accounts where Jesus has an interaction with an evil spirit. There have been other places where it says in Jesus, and they came to Jesus, and he healed the sick, and he cast out demons. So there have been other places where it just talks about references of him doing so, but we don't have the detailed accounts. And every time that we find a detailed account of Jesus encountering an unclean spirit, we learn something else about the unseen world, about the demonic realm, the, and the demonic angelic realm. Important not to just call it the demonic realm because if that were the case, we'd be in a lot of trouble if there was just a, if there's a spiritual realm that goes alongside of our physical realm and it was only the demonic realm, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But there are angels as well. And the Bible says, well, there's two-thirds angels, one-third demons. And we talk about why I believe that later on. Um, but also that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And that angels protect us. The Bible says that they are servants for us. They serve us, which is absolutely amazing, right? That angels actually serve us. And so we want to be aware of this, this realm and we want to learn what we can learn when we see detailed accounts of Jesus dealing with, with evil spirits because that's why they're there. So we can know about it, so we can learn, so we can see what we can glean from it. I thought it would be good for us before we get into our, uh, our passage to consider spiritual warfare momentarily. Last night, I think I did it for like a half an hour. It was way too long. Then I had to hurry through the text. So I don't want to do that today. I want to uh, spend some basic time on spiritual warfare and uh, just talk about five things every Christian should know. Go over that quickly. Just to kind of give us a, a, a foundation, a setting, a reminder for most of us on what's taking place in the spiritual realm and what that spiritual battle is, is about. And that you don't need to be afraid of it because a lot of Christians think the spiritual battle is just Satan getting nooky spooky you know, making some noise in our house and whatever, you know. And there's so much false teaching about, so much false teaching about a demonization and oppression because, I, I won't go into all the details why, but there's just so much of it out there. We want to make sure that we're rightly dividing the Word of God and we're basing it on the truth. You know, it says that we're to put on our spiritual armor, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against all of these, this host of wickedness, and that we're to put on the belt of truth. You can't, believe a lie and battle effectively the demonic spirits. So you've got to, got to search the truth. You've got to want to know what the truth is. So let's talk about these five things. First of all, um, five things that every Christian should know about spiritual warfare. First of all, persevering in prayer is spiritual warfare. Okay. Persevering in prayer is spiritual warfare. It's no surprise that in the first part of Luke 11, Jesus has just gotten done telling us a parable about persevering in prayer. 
He talks to us about the Lord's Prayer. Then he talks about persevering in prayer to keep praying. And then we have his encounter with the demonic spirit. Because prayer is part of it. When we pray, we are entering into the spiritual realm. We are calling out to God who is spirit that he would move in the physical. And what happens in the physical is oftentimes begun in the spiritual. There's a whole unseen world that is every bit as important as the matrix. All right, if I can use a, a, a movie analogy, you got this world going on behind the scenes and you got our perceived world and the reality is the behind the scenes world. The reality is the spiritual world and a lot of times we're only seeing the things that the enemy would really like us to see. So um, I'm not going to go verse by verse through Ephesians 6, but that's that, the armor passage that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood and that put on the whole armor of God. And I won't cover all of that. But what I do want to do is just look at the beginning and the end of that passage because that's where it's telling us the application. So in the beginning, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Not our might, his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. The word wiles there means schemes of the devil. And then it says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So the devil's scheming against us. He's got to scheme against us. And you're going to see in a moment because you're protected. You have protection as a Christian from the demonic realm. So he is scheming against you. And we need to be aware of his schemes and not give place to the enemy. In other words, as a Christian, the only way that the enemy can effectively attack you is if you cooperate with him. And can I just say, don't cooperate with him, all right? He's a creep. Don't cooperate with him. Uh, at the end of this, uh, it says, after we take the sword of the Spirit, it says there, I think it's verse 18, um, praying always with all prayer. So we put on all the armor. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We put on all the armor, and then we stand praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So part of spiritual warfare is persevering in prayer, making sure that you don't give up. Do you guys have friends, family, children, grandparents, grandchildren that you know that need Christ? Then pray for them. Because when you're praying, you are involved in spiritual warfare. And, and, and continuing to pray is spiritual warfare. The, the second thing that every Christian should know is that we must prepare for the battle. We, we don't have somebody volunteer for the Marines, give them a gun and, and camo, and go, we're dropping you off here. Go figure it out. So we have to determine, okay, if I'm going to be involved in the spiritual battle, how can I prepare for it? So a couple of, of scriptures. I've got four here. I don't know I'll cover them all. But a couple of scriptures. Number one is James 4, 7, and 8. It says, therefore, submit to God. Th this is the first step of preparation for that spiritual battle. It's saying, Lord, I no longer want what I want, but whatever you want. I'm submitting to you. You are my God, and I will follow you. Not you are my God, and help me out when I need it. Not the self-help Jesus. God wants to make my life happier, better, blessed, more. You know, that's not ever biblical but that we are called as soldiers to do the work God's called us to do. And like a soldier submits to his commanders, submits to the army, we submit to God. We're yours. You know the truth. I don't. I just need to know what I need to know to do what God's called me to do. So it says, submit to God, resist the devil. This is the key, resist him. Satan is scheming against you. 
And he's trying to get you to fall. He's trying to get you ineffective. God is battling against that, and God's got grace, and God's got mercy, and all those things work together. But we need to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. He's going to flee from us when we resist him. It's like as long as you respond in a positive way to what the de to, from the devil's perspective to what the devil wants to do in your life, then the enemy's like, well, I'll just keep on doing this. I got this guy sidelined. I've got this gal sidelined. They're not doing the work of the gospel. They're just always concerned about their life and what's going on, and I'm just unhappy. I'm miserable. I'm whatever. And Satan's like, I'll just keep this up. I'll keep them sidelined and out of the battle. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. So we can draw near to God, but we need to cleanse our hands, get things right. That's the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation that's in the armor. Another verse, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant. The idea is that you, you knuckle down and you say, look, there's a spiritual battle taking place and I'm going to be involved in this battle and I'm going to see people come to Christ. Remember, part of the armor is having your feet prepared with the gospel the preparation of the gospel of peace. The battle in spiritual warfare is over the souls of men and women getting saved. Satan wants to stop it. The Bible says that, that the God of this world, who is Satan, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. So according to the Bible, if you're here today and, and maybe you didn't want to come to church, maybe, you, maybe you've got a drug problem, you were drugged to church not a real drug problem you were just drugged to church here today and you're you you're here but maybe you can learn something and that's that satan wants to blind your eyes he's working to blind your eyes and the only way that we can we, we can combat that is through spiritual warfare and so you wonder why is it so hard to share christ why is it so hard for people to get saved because this is spiritual warfare and warfare is never easy so we need to be vigilant and persevere and be vigilant it says, because your adversary walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for people he can pick off. And there's some he passes right by. Can't not them, not them, not them. But there's some he goes, you. I can, not you, by the way. I didn't point to anybody. Uh, be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, the roaring lion, seeks, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So it seems like the enemy might, might be bringing chaos into your life because it talks about the same sufferings being experienced by people around the world that Satan, one of the ways that he may be attacking you is by trying to bring chaos in. Uh, Ephesians 4, 27 and 28, nor give place to the devil. This is where I say a lot, I say it often, you gotta cooperate with Satan in order for Satan to take you down. Nor give place to the devil. I think it's very practical. Let him who stole steal no longer. So it's like get rid of the things in your life that you're struggling with. Get, get, come back to him. And there's forgiveness. There's restoration. God knows our weaknesses. All of that is true. Yet there needs to be a genuineness about your faith. There needs to be a sincerity about how you serve God. Otherwise, the enemy is really able to come against, uh, against you. Uh, the third thing is that God will protect us in spiritual warfare. This is really important because sometimes we feel exposed. We feel like, uh, I have a... I don't like spiders, which is something you probably shouldn't tell a lot of people because there's some pranksters. So I'll get you back. You'll pay if you do. Um, but uh, I can't tell you how many spiders I've had on my pulpit, alive and fake, over the years because of people, because I confess it. Um, so that's not unique, by the way, if you want to do that. Ooh, okay. Um, 
So I have a, I have a policy in my house. I leave them alone and they leave me alone. Unless they're by my bed and then it's off. That's a whole different thing, okay? But if I see them out in the living room, I'm like, yeah, you're good. You just, you know, you stay there, I'll stay here, we're all good. My wife's like, don't do that, kill them. I'm like, no, my policy is I leave them alone, they leave me alone. That's my policy with them. Um, I get way too many heebie-jeebies when I try to kill them anyway and they just end up jumping at me and it's a, just a mess that's... <laughs> so some of you might have that policy with Satan. You're like, I leave him alone, he leaves me alone. I just want to go through my life and then I'll leave him alone. The problem is, is that there are souls that weigh in the balance. And God will protect you. It says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, and I love this verse. It's very memorizable, if that's a word. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. And he will guard you from the evil one. Very powerful promise. God will establish you. Some of you guys have yet to really be established in Christ. When you're established, you're firm, you're solid. You're not going to be blown away from it. You're established. God's going to establish you, and he'll guard you from the evil one. In 1 John 4, 4, again, this is a very familiar verse. It says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You cannot be possessed. You aren't smoking because you're possessed by a demon. You're smoking because you're overcome with nicotine. You're, you're not lusting because a, a, of a demonic, you know, possession or oppression or Klingon or anything else people would like to teach. You're sowing to your flesh. As a Christian, you're sowing to your flesh, and from your flesh, you're reaping corruption. You're going to get a crop of whatever you sow. And every time you sow to the flesh, then you're going to reap what you sow. So you're sowing something, you're going to have a bigger harvest. If you sow to the Spirit and you sow to edifying things, you're going to have a big harvest of edifying things and spiritual things. And that's how you battle against the flesh. But there are those who would like to make you think it's, it's some demonic attack against you. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And those are all distractions. Satan is just trying to distract you away from being effective with your feet prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the battle is about that. Number four, we've been guaranteed success in spiritual warfare. This is a great, great passages that tell us this, and the ones I'm going to share are not the only ones. So in Matthew 16, 18, and 19, Jesus says to Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. The word church is the word ekklesia, which is not, does not mean gathering. It, it, it is a particular Greek word that is used for a body that is gathered for government in a city. So Greek cities, each of them had their own ekklesia. They've uncovered the room in Athens where the ancient ekklesia of Athens used to meet. They have authority. We are a group of people that have authority. We are not just a gathering of people. Each one of us has authority in Christ. On this rock, I will build my ekklesia, my church. And then he says this, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so sometimes we feel like we look outside the church and, oh, there's the gates of hell. And, oh, they're not good. But they won't prevail against us. Don't worry about it. Look, the gate doesn't move. We have legs. The gates of hell, we are going to rescue people from going to hell. We are going to snatch souls from the fire. That's the battle. That's what the struggle is over. And we are guaranteed that people are going to get saved. It's one of the reasons that I think that we ought to be praying for people to get saved daily. It's one of the reasons that I believe that we should be looking for opportunities to share knowing that it's going to be difficult because of spiritual warfare and the enemy has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. 
but we will have success. Doesn't mean everyone's going to get saved, but it means that there are going to be people who do. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. You and I have been given the keys to the kingdom. And, and, and we know how to let people in. Do you know what it really takes for someone to go to heaven? To make sure you're, you, what the, the Bible teaches about being born again? Do you know what that is? Those are the keys. You need to know it. Let people in. Let me give you one more here. Luke uh, 10, 19. Behold, I give you authority. Remember, we're ecclesia. We have authority. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. I, I would suggest that Satan and his demonic forces are far more fearful of a Christian that gets a hold of the real truth and begins to live it than you should be of him. I have people who come over, can you come over into my house? Can you anoint it with holy water because the demon's there? Hey, look, you know, start to pray. Start to do the battle. Because he said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you. God's given you authority. Let's do it boldly. Let's know what this is about. Finally, spiritual warfare in the last days is partially about sound doctrine. This is really important, and I'm not saying completely, but I'm saying in the days of Jesus, there were a lot more possessed people, a lot more demon-possessed people than there are today. I'll talk about that here in a few minutes if I have time. But today, it's lies. It's, 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 it's false doctrines. Let me read you a couple verses here. 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14 says, Such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So why Paul was going around and the other apostles were going around spreading the gospel within the first couple decades of the church, there were these false apostles that rose up that had lies. And they were effective. Paul would go into an area, and then these false apostles would come in. This is why we have the books of 1 and 2 John, 3 John as well, but that's a little less dealing with false doctrine. But that's why we have the books of 1 and 2 John, because these false apostles came in, and he was like, you guys have just abandoned what, what I taught you, what we taught you? That's why he said to the Galatians, if anybody comes to you teaching you anything that is different than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. And if they're supposed to be accursed, then don't listen to them, Right? So these guys were approaching, and there are, today, the Bible says, in the last days, any of you guys believe we're in the last days? I want to do a whole study on why we're in the last days here, pretty soon. Um, in the last days, men will heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. So you got a lot of teachers today who won't teach the Bible. They'll quote the Bible, but they'll, they'll quote it backing up things that are unbiblical. God just wants you to be happy and blessed. God just wants you to walk around blessed. Of course you're blessed. You're a child of God. You're supposed to be blessed. Nothing about people perishing. Nothing about the battle. Nothing about what we're called to do. It's, they're, 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 they look like they're preachers. And, and I'm so amazed that you can point out a false teaching by somebody, but because you've heard a message by them or maybe several messages by them that you're blessed by, that, that really do encourage you, you close off your mind towards their false teaching. And I'm, our loyalty should be more to God and His Word than to someone that, that blessed us a few times through studies or maybe a conference that you went to or whatever the case might be. If they're teaching false doctrines, they're not teaching the truth, then we don't want it. And then he says, For no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He's not going to get any cults to be developed or anybody to follow cults if he looks like the devil. So he appears as an angel of light. One more, and then we're going to get into our text. 
Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Again, the latter times, when we're seeing an apostasy take place today, many Christians are leaving the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. They're giving heed to deceiving spirits. So that there are people who believe that Elohim, God in the Bible, was a man on another planet who lived a good life, got a wife, went and has eternal sex with his wife, makes spiritual babies and populates the earth. That's Mormonism. And, and, and we go, well, they're good people. Well, yes, certainly some of them. Human standards, yeah, certainly. They haven't always been. You want to look at the history? Brigham Young and the things that took place? Want to look at what Joseph Smith did? He married girls and he married other people's wives. Is that good? Or is it deceiving spirits? And you can tell people these things and they just won't listen because there's doctrines of demons. There's deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons working around in it. Same is true with Jehovah Witnesses. You can start to point out the fact that Jesus didn't come back in 1914 like they, you, you guys all said he would. When he didn't come back, you guys just went, well, he started to. And the way that things are twisted, it's, it's, if you understand when you're talking to a family member who's a witness or when you're talking to someone at the door who's a witness that there is a deceiving spirit and doctrines of demons that are taking place. It's spiritual warfare that's going on. Now you see why it's so hard and that you can say things that make sense and that you can talk about something that they believe that is unbiblical and they'll still go, nope, I believe it because there's this deceiving spirits that are out there. And, and there's gonna be more so. It's not only, it, those, those deceiving spirits are not only happening uh, among false religions, but they're happening among atheists, people that attack God, people that attack Christians. So it's why there's such an influence today on people, on kids, especially kids, but on Christians that haven't really made a complete commitment to God. And so when they are exposed to these doctrines of demons and to these, these deceptions, they give in to them and they end up walking away. I think part of the apostasy of the last days is God dividing things out. God's going, you're a real Christian? You really made a commitment to me? Then you stand your ground. If not, then you could be, you could be led away. You could be led astray. So if you've listened to those things, again, if you've been drug here today, then, and this applies to you, then maybe it's time to make a real commitment to Christ. A real genuine commitment. All right, so let's look at Jesus' encounter with this, um, this evil spirit. Right after he talks about prayer, it says, and he was casting out a demon. So it just kind of randomly goes there, and he was cast out a demon. So he ran into a man who was demon-possessed, not told anything about him, but we're told it was a, uh, and it was mute. Now, so people will say, well, see, this is a mute demon, and there's tobacco demons, and there's lust demons, and there's, um, you know, alcohol demons, and there's baldness demons, and there's just all, they, I've seen a list with that on there. I'm not making it up. I wouldn't make it up, all right? So that, that, that's not what it's saying here. I don't, I don't think that's what it's saying. All right? When, when it goes on here, it says, um, so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. So I think it's called a mute spirit here because he caused the guy that he had possessed to be mute. That's why it was called a mute spirit. Another place, I think a deaf and dumb spirit is cast out because it caused the person to become deaf and dumb. I don't think that the spirit was mute and that the spirit went into people and made them mute. And the multitudes marveled. I, I, I don't think we appreciate how much the multitudes marveled. We might go, well, we would marvel if we knew somebody was demon-possessed and somebody came along and was like, come out! And it came out. We'd be like, wow. Never 
in the history of the Old Testament has anyone ever cast out a demon. None of the prophets did it before. None of the kings, none of the men of God ever cast out a demon. And here's a man who does. They marveled. Because there, there's not examples of it. The closest you get is Saul, who is a distressing spirit from the Lord, which is a, a bizarre statement anyway. We go, how much don't we understand in the spiritual realm if there are distressing spirits that come from God that brought distress in the life of Saul? Maybe he was using a demonic spirit. Maybe God ordered a demonic spirit. And that, again, it all, maybe it tumbles our whole world. We're like, how much don't I understand? And David played for him and, and, and Saul was soothed. But then he'd freak out and throw a spear at him. So it wasn't a complete deliverance, right? Um, so no wonder they marveled. But there were some objections. There were people that didn't want to believe. They're watching the supernatural happen right in front of their eyes. They're like, this guy was demon-possessed. This guy was blind from birth, and now he sees. I can't believe. This guy was risen from the dead. I won't believe. This guy was, was delivered out of spirit. I won't believe. So what are the two reasons that they chose to not believe? Number one, that, they were, that he was using a demonic spirit to cast out the demon. It wasn't God moving because they didn't want to receive Jesus as their Messiah doing this unique work. It must be the prince of, of darkness doing it. Verse, four, uh, verse 15 but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Beelzebub, notice the first part there, Baal. In the Old Testament, the Canaanites and the surrounding regions, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Hittites um, worshipped Baals. Just like, in, just like there were gods in Roman Greece, uh, Greek gods and Roman gods, which were, by the way, the same gods under different names. Right? Jupiter and Zeus are the same God. Hermes, Mercury, the same God, just under different names. And so they had different Baals. There was Baal Marduk, Baal Molech. I believe it was Baal Molech that they would put in a fire that had cast iron arms that would come out until it was red hot. And then they would put their children on the arms of Molech to sacrifice them. And it's one of the reasons that God said that he was going to cast them out of the land of Canaan. People talk about God removing the Canaanites from Canaan, how unfair it was. God did that because they were sacrificing their children to Molech, Baal Molech. The sad part is, is that Israel eventually did it. Israel picked up the gods of the, of the Canaanites and began to serve them. Uh, Baal Zebub is the Lord of the Flies. Uh, Jezebel, her dad was a priest of Baal Zebub. And how he's connected to the ruler of the demons and how a first century Pharisee thought of Beelzebub, I have a hard time finding. But from the text, we get the idea that he would be the ruler of demons. So they believed Beelzebub was the ruler of demons. And so they blamed it on, on a, a spirit. Jesus is going to deal with that in a moment. The other thing, objection, is others tested him saying, others tested him, sought him a sign from heaven. So, so some people were like, well, that's fine. You just did this incredible thing that nobody did in the Old Testament, but you give us a sign from heaven. In other words, people try to demand from God what they need in order to believe. People say, your revelation to me, God, isn't enough. Your miraculous working isn't enough. The, the, the Bible itself has prophecies that are very, very unique, very specific, that we know were written before the event happened. For example, the Bible says that the city of Tyre would be destroyed, scraped clean, and thrown into the sea. 
Alexander the Great came by. All of the people from Tyre had moved to the island out in Tyre. So he used the stones of the city to build a land bridge to go out to the, the, to the island of Tyre. That land bridge is still there today. And God, and God said it before it happened. And people go, that, 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 that can't be, that can't be, an, God didn't foretell the future with that accuracy because miracles can't happen. The old David Hume, you know who David Hume is? Right? The, 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 I don't know what he lived, he lived, 1600, somewhere around there. And he, he said, extraordinary evidence demands, excuse me, extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. Atheists love that today. They love to say, look, you got a miracle, that can't happen because miracles don't happen. And so if, if you're going to try to persuade me to become a Christian because of some miracle that you believe you have in the Word, I'm not going to listen at all because I don't believe in miracles because miracles don't happen. All right, well, you're very much like them. Show us a sign from heaven. How about the sign I just gave you? Show us a sign from heaven. Is there supernatural? Is there a supernatural world? And is there any evidence of a supernatural world? And I believe one of the strongest places that we have evidence for a supernatural world is near-death experiences. And I'm not saying that when the people die, they see God or they see, there's all kinds of near-death experiences they have. They die on the operating table and they have stories of what, they, what happened to them in those near-death experiences. Some people don't have them at all. Other people have them. That's not the extraordinary part of them. The extraordinary part is that people have died on the operating table, sometimes children, and when they are revived and talked to later, they know things that happened in the operating room or in the waiting room or other places that they should have never have known. These are documented cases. Go look them up. Look up near-death experiences. These are not material things that happen. This is outside the material world. There's one famous case where a little girl's on the operating table. I believe it's a little girl on the operating table. And she, she dies on it. And she sees her body. And then she sees the top of the hospital. How do you see once your eyes aren't working? Once you're dead, how do you see? And how do you see from another perspective? It tells us there's a supernatural spiritual world out there. And she saw some shoes, some unique shoes on top of the hospital. And when she came to, so again, this is documented. When she came to, she said, on the hospital, there's these weird shoes. And they went up and found the exact shoes that she was telling them about. Now, when I brought that up to people, they said, well, it was just like a, it was a hoax. That's a pretty elaborate hoax. Listen, honey, die on the hospital table. I'm going to plant a pair of shoes up on the roof. You act like you floated out of your body, saw them, tell somebody, we're going to get them. This is going to be a great joke, right? And so my point is this. If near-death experiences reveal to us the supernatural, that there is the supernatural, and that's a precedent that opens up. Ton you, you can no longer just say, I believe that we, evolution just created us here and that we're just, we're just material. We're like a, a, a robot. We're like a wet robot. And, and we're you can't say that anymore. You got to say there's something after death. And, and, you got, and now has the evidence that God's given you already that you've rejected because you said the impossible can't happen, therefore I don't believe the impossible, which is that's truly begging the question. It's circular reasoning. You ever hear people say, that begs the question. Let's talk about the Hittites. That begs the question. You're not begging the question. That's the wrong use of the word. It's, it's one of my pet peeves, by the way. That's the wrong use of the term. What you should say is that brings up the question. When you tell somebody you're begging the question, it's somebody that says, I don't believe in supernatural experiences because supernatural experiences aren't real. That's begging the question. 
Where's your evidence that supernatural things aren't real? You're just saying you don't believe in supernatural things and supernatural things aren't real. It's like me if I were as a Christian say, I believe in the Bible because the Bible's true. That's begging the question. I've got to first of all show you evidence that the Bible is true before I can persuade you that you should put your trust in it. That's how you stop begging the question. All right, so um, they want more signs. Many people do today. And so Jesus responds to the first of the objection. Verse 17, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to destruction, or desolation. A house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, he is also, his kingdom cannot stand. Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God is upon you. He's saying, if I'm doing this unique thing that hasn't been done before, and it's not Satan casting Satan out, because why would he do that? Then the kingdom of God is upon you. Then he says that he is the stronger man. Verse 21, when the strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his own palace, his goods are in peace. That's Satan. He's strong. He's stronger than us. When he guards his own house, they're in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him and takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So Jesus is the stronger than the strong man. So when we rebuke the enemy, we rebuke him in the name of Jesus like, like Michael did when Satan, when they were arguing over the body of Moses, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, he said. Satan will, Michael will one day go get Satan. But Michael said, the Lord rebuke you because he is the stronger than the strong man. He was not against me, or uh, yeah, he was not with me is against me. These people that were objecting are not with him. And he who does not gather scatters. You guys got to pick a side. You're either involved in the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom of God, or you're involved in disseminating the kingdom of God. You got you to choose one. Then he says a little bit about unclean spirits. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes and finds it swept and put in order, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. So Jesus is simply saying, you go to a man who's demon-possessed, and you cast a demon out of him, but he doesn't invite Jesus into his life. It's like an empty house that this demon goes, I'm going to take seven more worse and bring him back in. So this idea that you and I are supposed to go around casting demons out of people is false. What we want to do is make sure the house is full. It's got Jesus in it. The Spirit of God lives inside of them. And so a demon can't live inside of them. So our job is not just to run around finding demons behind every rock and tree and casting them out. Our job is bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the battle. Our feet prepared with the gospel. That's the battle that's taking place. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Seeing people come to Christ. Who do you know that needs to come to Christ? Are you involved in spiritual warfare? Are you involved in praying, seeking, being used by God to see those people around you have their destinies changed to, to being from darkness into the light? Stand with me, would you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word. Thank you so much for just being able to kind of scratch the surface here today on spiritual warfare. And Lord, if, uh, if these near-death experiences are examples of spirituality here today, then I pray for those that have rejected you, believing there's nothing spiritual that takes place. That they're, they're materialists, they only believe in the world. And I pray for those that are here today that never have made a commitment to you. Maybe young people here today who've never made a commitment to you. I pray you give them the boldness 
to take the next step. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.